0: Well, good morning to you. I got lots of time. But uh, we were taught in college that the human mind cannot absorb more than the derriere can endure. So I'll try to be measured. I want to encourage you. Um, there are just, there's just so much going on in these days. and um, uh, Well, the, the simple fact is it, it's not a pleasant day to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. It's becoming more and more difficult. One thing I notice is, really, we don't don't endure much persecution, but uh, we sure have to endure a lot of junk. And uh, we're we're just living in those days, and I want to encourage you, don't be discouraged. My lads. And it has really helped me sort through the scriptures and say, all right, what does God tell us to do? about practicing the Christian faith. Let's do what he tells us and trust him. And um, I think that's just very, very important for us. Uh, I'm studying through um, the subject of faith with our folks back at uh, Bethel right now. Incidentally, a greetings from Bethel. We are so glad to know that Columbia Falls is up here We enjoy your fellowship in the gospel. And incidentally, you know, we've got a special Christmas thing coming up. I didn't see that in your bulletin, Chuck. You made the announcements, Chuck. All right, let's not be weaseling out of this. I don't know what the date is, but we're getting together on a Sunday evening. We did it last year. Matter of fact, we met up here. Remember that? And uh, everybody brought some special music or something. You sang that night, Chuck. You remember that? Yep. And um, Charlotte and I are getting the uh, has-beens together again to uh, put together a music number. And we're meeting down at Bethel this year. So uh, be sure to get that on your calendar. You just enjoy those evenings of fellowship together. And I think it's really important for us. Um, One of the things we lose track of and I think don't enjoy is, don't observe the benefit of it as much as we should, is the fellowship that we have. Um, I get to church 20, 30 minutes early because I like to chat with the people. That fellowship is important. And down at Bethel we've done something that, oh man, it's it just, it's bordering on apostasy. Uh, but It was last year, I think, that some of our uh, older folks said, it's really hard for us to get out in these winter months at night, but we don't want to miss church. So what we did was we have an afternoon service. We started doing that. We have our morning service, and then we all bring our lunch and eat, and I said, delightful fellowship time, and then we have an afternoon service. And we liked it so well that when summer came, we kept doing it. And it's uh, really, really a blessing. Uh, Sometimes it's hard to determine what's a good idea and what's apostate. You know, we get so tied to our traditions. Well, I mentioned that I'm going through uh, Hebrews chapter 11 right now with our folks back in Bethel. And uh, we're studying the subject of faith. And I have just really... Uh, Bruce, with you, the, the study time is far better than the teaching time. And I'm really, really enjoying that. And uh, I'd like to give you just a little spin-off of that. Turn with me to, to Mark chapter 4. This morning, and we're going to look at uh, one of the stories of the disciples' experience. In Mark chapter 4, we'll be looking at verse 35 through 41, and before we do, let's bow in prayer and ask God's blessing on this time. Our Father, as we open your word together today, I pray that by the Holy Spirit, the truth of it would just kind of jump off the page and into our hearts. Apply it to the place each individual needs today as we look at the topic and subject of faith. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Mark chapter 4, we'll begin reading at verse 35. Oh, incidentally... uh, A good title for today's message is Get Back in the Boat. I took, when I was pastoring back in uh, Belmont, Iowa, uh, I used to often go on fishing trips up in Canada and in the boundary waters. And a bunch of the men in the church said, Take us fishing in the boundary waters. So we thought, well, we'll put together a father son thing and we'll do that. And uh, we went up into the boundary waters, and there's a lot of stories I could tell you about that particular trip. But the one thing that kind of sticks in my mind uh, Ronnie Brooks, one of the men, and his son Stefan came. Stefan was one of Paul's close friends. And I don't remember all of what was going on, but I remember they had stopped on the shore in their canoe, and Stefan had gotten out. Of the canoe, and Ron wanted to get out and get fishing. And I could just hear him hollering at his, point, as his, at his boy saying, get back in the boat. <laughs> he wanted to get out and get fishing. Well, we're going to find the disciples in a boat today. Verse 35, and the same day when the even was come, he said unto them, let us pass over onto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. Now, please stop and think about that. It's after dark. There is a terrible storm on the Sea of Galilee. Galilee is known for this, just terrible storms coming up. And it was probably, you know, something like three to five miles across that lake. It's a very sizable lake. And they get out there and this storm comes up. This has reminded me of my trip to the Boundary Waters with those guys. A storm came up on that. We had one guy who registered late. And he has to have registration papers to be out there in the Boundary Waters. And so I sent the guys in their canoes, I don't know, four, five, six of them. And my son and I were going to cross and go over to this ranger station and get this kid's registration papers when we were going across, a storm came up. Those waves were all of two feet high. And we were out in a canoe. Boy, was I glad to have my son in the front. He's strong. And he pulled into those waves. And we got to an island. It hid behind that island for a while. And then darted out and got over there to that that place, that ranger station. Anyway, the storm was so bad that we had to find a place on the shore and spend the night while our guys were out there I had no idea where they were so you kind of get the idea of it ain't fun to be out in a storm and here the wind was blowing so fiercely and the waves were so bad that the boat was filling up with water and remember it's dark now look what happens and he was in the I think that's a long eye, in the hinder part of the ship. Asleep on a pillow. (laughs) Did God ever go to sleep on you? Now, there's something important about this story. Who sent him out into that lake? The Lord said, let's cross the lake. Does the Lord know about storms? Yeah. So, he gets his guys into that situation while he sits in the back of the boat and sleeps. That you would think that when these guys are doing the work of their Savior, obeying Him and sacrificing for Him, that he would ease their journey. Wouldn't you? I mean, you know, in in context of what we were talking about in Sunday school this morning, Bruce, why do the heathen prosper? Well, God's people endure such difficulties. There's a lesson to learn here about God. Learn it. they awakened him and say unto him, Master, oh, what a nasty thing, they say to him. Carest thou not that we perish? Don't you care? Have you ever been in a place in life, you know, you say, doesn't God care? Now, the, the applications to this are so broad, and I think intentionally broad. The things we face personally in our careers, does God really care or is He asleep? The things we face in our families, the the, the values that we have come to cherish and, and covet in our families and those things become challenged and our families become separated. Doesn't he care? Yes, he cares. I tell you, the one thing I come to, one of the things I come to in life is it's real. It's just plain real. Carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. (laughs) Later, these guys are going to be saying, who is this guy that even the wind and the waves obey him? They're just getting acquainted with him, and let's face it, we're just getting acquainted with our God. We're just getting acquainted with him. And we get acquainted with him through his word and the circumstances of life. It can't be short-circuited. It can't be hurried up. And there's no other way. Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Can you imagine what happened in their hearts at this particular time? All of a sudden, thank you, Lord. I can't believe how you did that. And he said unto them, now notice the rebuke. Now they rebuked him for his sleep. He rebukes them. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? There's so much I want to say to you today, and I know I'm not going to get through my notes. This isn't going to work. I'm sorry. Notice the things he didn't say. How come nobody brought an outboard motor? Did you guys think your way through this before you got on, this, on, on, on the sea? How come you didn't have, you know, some kind of provision and alternate plans to keep us safe? Why didn't you put some outriggers on this thing? You know, we are so hard on ourselves about Our own abilities and our own planning and our own skills. And what the Lord focused on was why didn't you trust me? Why don't you just trust me? And that's what I want to encourage you about this morning. Just trust Him. Quit looking at the wind, quit looking at the waves, quit fearing the dark. And just trust him. Now, the word fear is used again, but I think it's used in a different context. Verse 41. And they feared exceedingly and said one to, one to another, Who is this we're traveling with? What manner of man is this? That the wind and the sea obey him. So they've moved from the fear of their circumstances to the fear of their God. And this is a fear that sees his omnipotence, his omniscience, his care, his comfort, his concern. And they're learning to rest securely in Him. We begin to think that the key to Christian success is all kinds of sophisticated and erudite knowledge and plans and ambition and goals and all that kind of stuff. And the real key to success is to trust him. That incredibly simple. Faith is the beginning of our relationship to God and faith is a very I I, want to not be too exclusive here because there's other things, but faith is a very important part of our continued relationship with Him. Just trusting Him. Abraham's beginning of his experience with God was by faith. We find that in Romans chapter 4. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Don't overlook that. That is the initiation of everyone's experience with God faith. Let let me take you to Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. I, I want you to see something there about faith. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now this great apostle Paul, bless his heart, we learn so much from him. And he's talking here about the initiation of our relationship with God, and it begins with the gospel. And he says, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believeth. This response to God in believing the gospel is a fascinating thing. I don't know as we will ever, Bruce, I, guess, I just so enjoyed your lesson this morning. I don't know if we'll ever understand this. But each one of us who are here today, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, are here because we heard the gospel and believed it. I want to read to you a few words from Charles Spurgeon about the wonder of belief. I ask any saved man to look back upon his own conversion and explain how it came about. You turned to Christ and believed on his name. These were your own acts and deeds. But what caused you thus to turn? What sacred force was there which turned you from sin to righteousness? Do you attribute this singular renewal to the existence of something better in you than has been yet discovered in your unconverted neighbor? I'm not going to read the rest of his quote. I just want you to see that some of the finest minds through the history of Christianity have been absolutely amazed by the work of the gospel. You mentioned Jay Vergen McGee this morning. He's one of my favorites, too. I was reading from him the other day, and it was towards the close of his ministry life. And he said, I no longer preach to defend the gospel, I preach to proclaim it because it is the power of God. God. His word and the Holy Spirit do the persuading through His word. That's not our job. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says this, But without faith it is impossible to please God. you understand how much He appreciates your expression of faith? It delights Him. Now I trust you're reading through the Bible this year with the Faith Baptist Bible College reading schedule, because if you're not, you're out of the will of God. And if you're reading through that with us, right now we're reading the Song of Solomon. How many of just, you just look forward to reading the Song of Solomon? No hands? Some of you do. Some of us are embarrassed by it. Some of us are confounded by it. But one of the things that I notice in that psalm is... God's delight in his people. He loves them. He, he is just captured by them. And I think one of the things that captures him is our simple faith. We trust him. Let me take you to Psalm 116. I'm just really, admittedly, and it's my own immaturity, struggling with some things in my work life right now and trying to keep my attitude right. The boss said to me the other day, Dave, we want to keep you happy. And I said to him, wait a minute, happiness is my problem, not yours. But I'm hopefully learning to trust Him in some ways I haven't trusted before. But look with me. This is I, I was just looking for some encouragement yesterday, and I turned to Psalm 116 and read it yesterday or the day before. And this verse popped out to me. Verse six: The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and He helped me. And. Uh, when I say something like that, I always want to check it out in different translations and stuff like that. And there are a couple translators who take this word simple and insert, the Lord preserveth them who have a childlike faith. And was it not our Lord who said, except you become as little children, ye shall all likewise perish. God delights in our childlike faith when we just trust Him. I remember years ago we were on my way to my mother's father's farm up in northern Wisconsin. We went there quite often because grandma had died and somebody had to keep an eye on grandpa. And we just got into one of those thick Midwest fogs. This is up in Russ County, Wisconsin, the poorest county in the state, rural, nasty. And we got into a fog that was incredible. And we had an old Plymouth at that time, I remember. And, uh, of course, us kids are sitting in the back seat and mom and dad are in the front. And I'm not exaggerating. It was dark. And dad had to open the door and look out the door to see the dotted line down the center of the road to see his way. And I'm sitting in the back seat. No fear. Because dad's at the wheel. That's the way God wants us to feel about our lives and our circumstances. No fear. Dad's at the wheel. Let me take you to John 21. The Lord has been crucified, resurrected from the dead. And He appears to His disciples two or three times between His resurrection and his ascension. He is going to leave his work in the hands of these 11 men. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Remember the first time you left your kids home alone, you thought, "Well, I think they're old enough now." And you just left the house in fear and trembling, wondering what you're going to come back to in 20 minutes. <laughs> I, I kind of think in those sense, the sense of that when I read these sections of Scripture. When the Lord is about to leave, the most precious thing in the world, His gospel work, in the hands of 11 men who don't even have college degrees, one of them is a tax collector, a couple of them are fishermen. Here in the 18th verse, he's talking to his fisherman, Peter, and he says, verily, verily, that word means, here's the truth, Peter, listen closely. I want to say to you, when you were young, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, another shall gird thee and carry thee where you don't want to go. This spoke he signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken that, He said to him, follow me. Did you ever watch that uh, Disney movie, Aladdin? I always think of that movie when I read this text of scripture. Who Who was the little princess? Jasmine. Well, Aladdin and Jasmine are running away from their enemy. And I think they're about to jump off a roof. And Aladdin holds out his hand to Jasmine and says, Trust me. And I, I, I see God in that way. When he says... Your life is all transcribed already. I've decided how you're going to serve me, what your experience is going to be, and I want you to trust me. <laughs> we, we see Peter so well in this story. Look at verse 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeth a disciple whom Jesus loved following them following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said to the Lord, "Which is he that betrayeth thee? All these to identify, we're talking about John." Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, "Lord, what about this guy? Now, Lord, I want you to be fair. Don't you be asking something from me that you're not asking from the rest of these guys. Don't we look around that way? Lord, how come it's going this way with me? What about him? Oh, boy, does Jesus know how to answer a question like that. Verse 22, Jesus said unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what's that to you? Follow me. Trust me. Says, I got a plan for John's life, I got a plan for your life. They aren't the same. Trust me. When our second daughter was about six months old, she picked up some kind of bacteria, was in the hospital for a couple days, brought her home, and she got worse. Took her back to the hospital. She got something worse in the hospital than she had when she went there. She, about six months, wasn't it? They had her laying in a bed with her hands and legs tied down and too young to have an IV and so they had a sub-Q, what they call on each thigh, to keep her hydrated. And it went on for days. And all I remember is seeing her so red with this infection. Charlotte would spend her nights there, and I would spend my days there. Day shift was coming, and I was driving down to the hospital. And I'm pleading for the life of my daughter. And I stopped at the stop sign between Jennings and Division Street. I remember it like it was yesterday. The Lord had brought me to this point where I said, Lord, thank you for Christy. And if you've just given it to to, to us for six months, then thank you for those six months. Just trust me. Now come with me to First Corinthians, Chapter Thirteen. You know, I plan all these things out and I have all my notes written down here. I can't even follow my own notes. First Corinthians 12 and 13 are very interesting. They talk about spiritual gifts. And we get all, all wrapped up in spiritual gifts and our abilities and our plans and our programs and all that kind of stuff. This really sets us straight. After talking about all these spiritual gifts and all these things, Paul tells us all this stuff is going to pass away. And in a sense, it was very important for the infant church, but it's no longer important. And in verse 13 of chapter 13 he says, now this is what abides. Faith, hope, and love. These three. Faith, hope, and love. What needs to be the characteristics of our life and service to God? Faith, hope, and love. And I'm just kind of pushing off to the side hope and love today and talking just about faith. Faith. Get back in the boat. Regardless of the storm, regardless of the circumstance, get back in the boat because that's where He is. I wanted to conclude this morning. Our time is gone with it. Another story that he tells about faith in Luke chapter 17, verse 5 and 6, where he says, If you had the faith, Charlotte, would you bring me that hymnal? I need it. If you had the faith of a grain of mustard seed, thanks, you'd say to this sycamore tree, Be uprooted and cast into the sea, and it would happen. Now, I've puzzled over that parable for a long time, or that story. I'm not sure I understand the whole thing. Matter of fact, I know a lot of things I don't understand. But I think the point is this. He said the faith of a grain of mustard seed. He picked about the smallest thing he could identify that they could understand. And I think one of the things he's telling him... The issue is not the size of your faith, but the exercise of your faith. Trust me. Just trust me. I want to conclude with a poem. It's a hymn. You won't find it in a lot of hymnals anymore, but you'll recognize it, okay? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is God's gracious command. In all your ways acknowledge Him. So shalt thou dwell in the land. Trust in the Lord who ruleth all, seeth all things as they are, be it a bird laying in its nest or yonder uttermost star. Trust in the Lord. His eye will guide all through your pathway ahead. He hath redeemed and he will keep. Trust him and be not afraid. Trust in the Lord, O troubled soul. Rest in the arms of his care. Whatever your lot, it mattereth not, for nothing can trouble you there. Trust in the Lord, O troubled soul, nothing can trouble you there. Bruce, I know you love that little granddaughter of yours. I hear you talk about her. We love to talk about our grandchildren. I've got a little girl on my bus. Her name is Ava. She just looks like my Lily. I want to take a picture of her. I'm afraid I'd get in trouble if I did that. I'll run ashore to Charlotte. And I see her get on the bus. I just want to take her in my arms and hold her. And as tender, As your hugs are on that little granddaughter. God holds us next to himself more tenderly. Each day. And in each circumstance. I know some of you here. And I know you got some junk going on. By that I mean some tough circumstances. Trust him. say, David, that's so simple. God delights in our simple trust.